0: Okay, let's let's do it. Uh, Parsha Skulkas. Um Parsha Skulkas is packed. Packed with stuff. Uh, and I'm going to obviously try and do it justice while trying to give a little bit of a broad overview as well. Um, but just to kind of recap and kind of just talk about the massive amounts of topics and stories that happen in this Parsha. Uh, the first 20 Samad Psukim is entirely dedicated to the Paraduma. Um... Immediately after that, Miriam dies. Uh, B'nai Yisrael gets fed up. Kosh Barakul tells Moshe, right, the, the bear. they get fed up because the bear Miriam, right, disappears. Uh, Kosh Barakul says, okay, Moshe, go speak to the rock. Moshe makes a mistake, and instead he hits the rock. Right? And then, uh, then he is punished, and he's told he's not allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. Um, so B'nai Yisrael, after that, keep on traveling. Moshe tries to get them to pass through Edom. Uh, it doesn't work uh meaning they don't let them go through kosborough Bar- 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 says don't fight them uh and that does not work um then right after that uh Aaron dies um Aaron dies they Allah's or replace him as the kind god everybody mourns him for 30 days um, a then attacks them because Aaron's chus was the cloud of, glo- of glory that None covered. That disappears. They 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 uh, they get attacked. Bnei Yisrael uh, defeat them, etc. Uh, Bnei Yisrael get upset again. Kosh Baruch sends snakes. I'm not sure if even if you've studied this before. Shem snakes to bite Bnei Yisrael, and there's a big plague of snake venom and stuff like that. Baruchu, B'nai Yisrael say we sinned. I apologize. And the Kosh Baruch tells Moshe. To build a copper snake. And literally a copper snake. And B'nai will look up at the copper snake. And they are healed. We'll have to talk about that. Because that's really weird. Um, obviously. There is a. Uh, they, B'nai Zha'al go to towards Moab. Uh, they also don't go through their borders. Uh, very odd. Very alluded to story. Which we're not really going to talk about so much. Where basically the bear Miriam. Flushes out a bunch of Emory soldiers. That were waiting to ambush them. Uh, in a valley. They sing a song to thank the Be'er, uh, which is also, again, very odd, but we're, we're probably not going to talk about it today. Um, and then finally, at the end of the Parsha, B'nai Israel do battle with two kings. One is Sichon, and the other one is Og. Sichon, Melech uh who lives in the city of Cheshbon. Cheshbon means calculations. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then finally, at the end of the Parsha, Moshe and B'nai Israel fight Og. Chazal uh, tell us that they were. Uh, Moshe was afraid of Og. We're also not really going to delve into that so much. Maybe we'll touch it at the end. Um, but basically, a ton going on in the parsha. A um, lot to talk about. So let's get started. So basically, first of all, when the Torah starts off. The, the parsha starts off with Paraduma. So the first time, the first thing we have to mention is whenever the Torah mentions a chok, right? The Torah parsha's chukas, right? Me Zos chukas Torah. This is the chok of the Torah. So before we discuss why this is the chok of the Torah, not the chok of the paraduma, seems to be be telling us a a real rule in the Torah, as opposed to a specific halacha, even though there are 25 samaibsukim about the paraduma. But whenever we talk about a chok, it's important to discuss, I think, uh, whether Judaism or Kosh who wants us to put our heads down and just obey and not listen and just be like, all right, God said so, fine. Or if we're supposed to kind of delve into deeper meanings and reasons uh, for the mitzvot, even though the Torah itself does not necessarily give us some, right? Is it a higher level, right, to just, like, blindly observe without thinking about it? Or is it a higher level to delve and try to understand? Now, I can hear both ways, right? Again, if you're talking, meaning on the one hand, someone who just puts his head down and says, this is what God said, no problem. God said, "How jump, now my question is, how, how high? So it shows an entirely devoted person, someone who's completely, you know, no questions asked, he's an a Hashem. On the other hand, a person tries to understand a little bit better, you can get, perhaps, to the depths of the knowledge that the Torah is trying to give us. So, as you might expect, and again, I'm not going to say any great chidushim or reader, but as you might expect, there are different schools of thought within uh, the Jewish philosophers, and obviously, Elu Ve'ilu Diver that both of them are legit. Uh, start with, if you've ever read the Kuzari, the Kuzari is, uh, I don't know if it's well-known, but he writes that uh, he writes that, basically, it's better to put your head down and just accept without any... Uh, contemplation without any knowledge that person is a higher level but he says he does say but if you can't do that which most people can't uh, he says it's much better to try and figure out uh, and figure out reasons and and learn and and kind of you know investigate almost Uh, as opposed to just like being like this makes no sense I'm out of here it's definitely better to try and understand what's going on but he says it's a higher level just to put your head down and be like this is what God said that's what I'm doing the Rambam famously, uh, he writes it a little bit in a random spot in Hilchos Meila. I don't want to get into what that is, but he writes it at the end of Hilchos Meila that uh, it is definitely proper for a person uh, to look and try and figure it out and delve into the laws of the Torah uh, and to get as much knowledge and understanding uh, as he can. Uh, the Rambam, interestingly enough, says that, uh, in, he writes this in the Mernavuchim, that while you should study the mitzvot and the reasons in the background, so the details you should leave alone. Meaning, like, why certain korban has to be a lamb, and that one has to be a sheep, and that one has to be a ram, and this has to be three korbanos, and this one has to be... He says that, you you drive yourself nuts, and that's ridiculous. That says the Rambam. The details are, are something you should not deal with, but in general, a person very much should try and get to the bottom of regular mitzvos. Now, I will just say that there are plenty of commentaries who say that even the details are very, very meaningful. Right? A lot of Rishonim, a lot of the commentaries on the Chumash go into all these explanations about the Mishkan, uh, and the Korbanos. Uh, just off the top of my head, the Akita Siskog writes that, uh, you know, he points out that if one letter in the Torah scroll is missing, so then the whole Torah is possible. So he says the same thing. If you're missing any details, so what do you mean? You're going to make it a menorah with a, with like five branches instead of seven? Like in, in the Bees HaMikdash? Like, what, what do you mean you're missing the details? So obviously that's, you know, that has to be ironed out. But the Rambam is well known that uh, people should try and get to the be, the, the bottom of the mitzvos as best they can um again this is also machogus rashi and ramban by by kilaim and Shatnez. uh you know where rashi says that uh Shatnes and kilaim have no logic to them and the ramban says I'll, I'll tweak it a little bit there it's not that there are no reasons but the reasons are Kosher secrets and we don't know them right that's obviously very different right again as we know when shlomo tried to figure out and understand the Duma. right it wasn't that he just let's well, i don't get it so i chucked it Maybe the shlomo tried to figure it out Kumar says it was beyond him that was the only thing that was beyond him but uh, the rabban tweaks it a little bit. Okay, I just want—I always—it's always important to kind of provide, I think, that background. Just practically, I like to always mention that there's there's a there's a really a nasa and type aspect to this, I think, in terms of you know B'nai Israel said nasa at Har Sinai, right? And the Torah says that they got two crowns for that—one for nasa, one for one for nishma—and sometimes there's a nasa. Sometimes you put your head down, you act without thinking, you don't try to figure it out, whatever. Sometimes it's an ishma. There's a place, a time where you can try and sit down and understand. Both of them are equally valuable, right? B'nai Sra got two crowns, right? Like I said, not, it's not that one is better than the other. I don't think there necessarily is a contradiction between the fact that, you know, there are some laws we do understand and some laws we don't understand. You know, isn't that like why that makes him God, right? And it makes us human, right? It's almost like a little bit more comforting that there's some secrets going on behind the scenes. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily a stirrup, but again, I always like to try and mention that uh, kind of rundown quickly when we talk about uh, chukim. Okay, let's let's get into the parsha. The Torah says zos chukas haTorah. This is the chok of the Torah, and I said, as I mentioned, I alluded to before, it's a weird phrase because the Torah should have said zos chukas para. It should have said this is the law. These are all the weird laws of the Paraduma. So why does the Torah say that this is seeming, seemingly right? There's something going on here that's bigger. Than just the paraduma. Those chukas Torah seems to imply, if you literally translate it, as this is the decrees or the uh, ununderstandable laws of the Torah. So what's going on over here? So there are many underst- there are many explanations. All the parshanim talk about this. One of them, uh, one of the ones that I'm fond of, is as follows. They say that the paraduma itself, the thing that makes it what's, what makes it impossible to understand. Uh, as the Gemara explains, is that it, it's paradoxical. On the one hand, right, if you sprinkle the ashes of the paraduma after this very lengthy processing pro, process, uh, if you sprinkle them with the waters of the ashes of the paraduma, a person becomes tahor. Right, he's no longer Masi, He's no longer impure after touching a you know or being in a cemetery, etc. But at the same time, the people who handle the water and the ashes and all that stuff become tame. Right, so that's weird. Right, that's a contradictory, That's contradictory. right? On the one hand, this item makes someone Tahor. On the other hand, this item makes someone tame. How does that work? So, two things. First of all, why, why, and why is this a general rule in the Torah? So the first one is the point that we've been harping on the last couple of weeks. And you'll forgive me for, for bringing it up again. But things in this world, actions and items in this thing are, in this world, are not inherently good, evil, pure, impure, etc. All thing the, the determining factor how you figure out whether something is good or evil pure or impure is simply the details surrounding it right we use the torah to dictate good and evil pure and impure sharon we talked about this on mondays right also that the torah is our guiding light that is our map that is our ladder so that's the rule of the torah that yes the same thing can be either pure or impure depending on the context right so the person being sprinkled he becomes pure if the person handling the stuff they become impure right that's not a contra- that's not a problem Right, for, this, for one person, being obscenely wealthy is tremendous bracha. He can give amazing amounts of staka. For this, a different person to have the same amount of money would be a terrible curse because he's miserly by nature and would never give anything away. Things are not evil or good. It just depends on the context. And therefore, this is the rule of the Torah. What the Torah says goes. And what the Torah says determines whether something is good or bad. That's a huge rule of the Torah. It's another rule, another way to understand this, which Melech Biederman points out very beautifully is is that purity and impurity on the same item is not contradictory, because purity and impurity always go hand in hand, We often think that if something is pure, it is here, and if something is impure, it is over there. It says a a little bit differently, but it explains basically this is that they're really just two sides of the same coin. Right, when the Torah says, right, the beginning of the Torah, right, sixth day of creation, right, look at saw, saw, everything that he had made, right, and everything was very good, right, up until then he said, right, and then he says, Ma'od right? at the end, you know what Rashi says over there? What was tov maod? What was very very good? And by now, Rashi says, you know what was very very good? The Zahara. the Zahara. Because if there is no impurity, if there is no evil, there is no purity. There is no good. right? As we've been saying on Mondays in the Mishal our job is to choose good versus evil. Our job is to acquire the positives in this world. Next, In the next world, everything will be good. It will be cool HaShem. If there is no negative, if there is no impurity, if there is no evil, so there's no way to acquire good. There's no way to choose. There's no way to accomplish. Right? I just got one of these emails from Victor Miller that... He didn't send an email. He passed away about 20 years ago. But they keep on sending his Torah as like written up in little short snippets. So that's what he. One of the emails he said this week. He said, "Why does a Baruch Hu hide from us in this world? Because if He would reveal Himself, so there'd be obviously everybody's gonna be from. If you have Hashem Baruch hanging over your shoulder, what are you gonna eat that treif? No, of course not. So we need the ambiguity to be able to rise above. So that's important to realize. That's a rule of the Torah. Life is gonna be." Say tough, but it's gonna be a struggle spiritually. It's gonna be tough, right? If it was easy You wouldn't be accomplishing anything. We'd be done. We all be in the next world Which is I'm sure sounds great, but I'm not ready for that yet So that's don't don't if stuff is difficult if you're having a tough time spiritually so Fantastic, (laughs) that's the point. You're supposed to raise rise above that right and Baruch Hashem That's what we have to accomplish that that good and evil pure and impure are two sides of the same coin and that's an important, uh, an important thing that uh, we have to keep in mind, and not to necessarily to hate on, on the tough times. Obviously, we don't wish for tough times, but to realize that they're an opportunity for us to rise above. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next topic. Topic number. Let's. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to Beer and Miriam, because how could we not mention Beer and Miriam? All right. We know that will, the well dies. Uh, the well dies. Miriam dies, and the well disappears. And we know all right, it's Gemara and Tainas. Rasha already quotes it here on the Parsha, that the well was in Miriam's chus, right? The man was in Moshe's chus, the Anani and Kabbalah was in Aaron's chus, and the Miriam's chus was the well. What the Gemara doesn't say is why. It doesn't say what Miriam's chus was, meaning I'm sure she was tremendous. Like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hate on, on Miriam, but I'm sure she was this. But why, Dafka, did she get the well as her chus? Now, I will admit there are... Uh, more esoteric sources that talk about this. For example, the Maral, and Neta talks about this. Uh, full disclosure, I did not understand what he was talking about. Um, he, uh, he writes that there's some sort of... To raise the physical to the spiritual from the Takhtonin to the Malas to the I did not understand what he's talking about. So I'm gonna be a little bit more, as they say, Balabatish, um, a little bit more, maybe down practical. Um, but I think there's one aspect of Miriam that really doesn't get talked about a lot, um, and if you look at a couple of sources, so really it does come out beautifully. If you look at the if the Medrash, right, Miriam had a different name, whether right, you guys all know. Miriam was called Pua, right? Shifra and Pua. Shifra was Yocheved, Miriam was Pua. Why was Miriam called Pua? So Rashi at the beginning of Parsha Shmos says, and this is the one we're all familiar with, or at least the one we're taught. In uh, elementary school is that when the babies would be born she would say poo poo and she would try to calm them down and whatever and stuff like that that is uh, adorable um, and it's true and it is a gemara and sotan and I'm not trying to, to hate on that but the Medr says in Shmosrava that actually Miriam was called Pua because she would be hofia upon him she would she would make her face almost brazen and stubborn and the Medrash gives two examples of that. First of all, she would stand up to Paro, and she would say, ready for that guy, when Hashem gets angry enough to kill you. Meaning, good luck. Basically, not threatening him, but kind of saying that, good luck when coach Baruch who comes around and decides to take you out. Uh, but even more famous is the fight she had with her father, right? Again, Paro decreed, if you guys are familiar, Paro decreed that all the boys... Uh, should be killed, thrown into the river, and her father Amram was like, "All right, because there's no point in having kids anymore." So he, he being the Gadol D'or or one of them, divorced his wife, and they all got divorced. So uh, uh so Miriam went back to him and said, "Hey, your decree is worse than Paro's. Paro's decreed on the boys; you're decreeing even on the girls." So they got remarried. So clearly, clearly, meaning Amram and it got remarried. Everybody got remarried, etc. He realized, oh, that you're correct. So Miriam clearly was willing to stick up what, for what was right and even be brazen, as they say about it, as, uh, to be upon him, And that's what's the point where they called her puah, right? Even though clearly that wasn't uh, necessarily, let's say, the, the PC thing to do. Another example, this is not only this story. Another example is uh, when Miriam says, quote unquote, Lashon Hara, about Moshe and Sipora, right? The end of Parsha's Baloscha. Now, if you're familiar, right, Miriam went and said, you know, to Aaron, hey, what's going on? I heard Moshe left Sipora. They don't spend any physical time together. And, uh, so obviously she got taras, etc. So what's going on over here? How did she know that? Well, she's not hanging out outside his tent? So basically what happened? Were, the story goes in Parsha that there were two Nuvian who were prophesizing in the camps. And they had got two guys named Eldad and Medad. And they were prophesizing in the camp. And when word got out that these two random dudes were getting prophecy, so Tzipora, who was hanging out with Miriam, makes sense, they were sister-in-laws. Tzipora just randomly commented, A for their wives. And Miriam was like, "What do you mean, Oive, for their lives?" And, and she's like, "Well, I, you know, I'm sure their wives are never going to see them again." And Miriam was like, "I understand. We're all prophets, and we also we all make time for our husbands and wives together. What's going on?" So that's when she went to Moshe. Right? She went, "Hey, what's up? Why are you not hanging out with Zipporah?" Now she was wrong, and she didn't realize the uniqueness of Moshe. Okay, that's already a different discussion. That uh, the Rambam already writes that she didn't realize the uniqueness of Moshe Benu and so Coach Barker said to her, hey, I'm, I always talk to Moshe Rabbeinu for all the other Niveen. They've, they've, uh, they know what's coming. They can prepare themselves. But Moshe has to be always ready to hear me. So you can't become Tommy by being with his wife. Okay, details. But basically, she wasn't um, afraid to kind of speak up. Uh, and say something when she saw something was wrong, and say something that when, when uh, and, and make something right. Perhaps this I wanted. I, I thought that perhaps this is why she got the be'er in her zechus. Be'er, the bear is the water, is the sustenance, the thing you need to survive. Right? You can't have, survive without water. The Torah is compared to water. If you're going to continue throughout the generations with water and Torah, you need to be a little bit firm in your convictions, right? And certainly nowadays, people are just kind of you know very people are very happy to tell you what, you th- what they think. Right? They're very happy for you to agree with them. Right? And the world's very confusing. Uh, it's, it's even more po- important to be strong in your, conf- in your convictions uh, to the point where you might sound a little arrogant. Um, I don't know, you definitely shouldn't be arrogant, but I think a person needs to be strong in their own kind of values and morals. Um, and I think that will keep them going. I mean, if a person is always kind of just nodding their head to whatever the peer pressure is saying, so that's not a great way to continue keeping the, the, the bear Miriam alive, if you will. Um, so I thought that was, uh, I thought that was appropriate, um, thing just to point out over there. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving. Cause I see the time is, is creeping and I am always wary of that, uh, of that timer that starts at the top, even though we're not there yet. But, uh, okay, let's, let's go on to the, let's, uh, let's get that. Let's go on to the copper snake. The copper snake is weird. The copper snake is super weird. And if you haven't heard this story, so basically again, just to to, to recap, uh Israel after uh after they kind of they lost the anane they came back, right? They they lost the, the well, it comes back, and then all of a sudden they started complaining again. There's no food, there's no water, even though they had it. They're upset with the mom. who sends snakes. And a lot of people died, they came to Moshe later and they're like, Alright, we, we sinned, how do we get out of this? How do we heal us from these snakes? Right. They should get rid of these snakes. Moshe Daven says, Alright, I got a great idea. Build a copper snake. And let them look. Any, Literally, the bazik says, uh, just to find it over here, uh, anybody who... Anybody who got right? bit, and you can look at the copper snake and you will live. And Moshe makes the copper snake and sure enough, that's what happens. What in the heck is going on? So already the Gemara kind of points out the Gemara Rosh Hashanah at the end of Rosh Hashanah says uh, what was the point? So Rashi already quotes it is that B'nai, what Hashem was trying to tell them was that if you look if you're de- if you're bit by a snake and you're I guess you're down on the ground or whatnot because you're sick so you look up at a big copper snake on a pole right so then just past that copper snake is the sky right It's Shemaim. Uh, so, you look at the copper snake that's above you, and you're like, oh, I see Shemayim. Oh, you know what? It's a Kosh Borah who's going to heal me. Hashem is going to heal me. So, that would cause them to David and Deshuvah, etc. The problem is, why need the snake? Like, you just look up, right? Why didn't Hashem just tell them all, just like, oh, yeah, okay, everybody, just look at the sky, and that'll do it? Like, <laughs> you're like, you're building in extra steps. So, if Melech or Biederman quotes the Imre Emes, and he says an amazing point. Great Vort, and I I my gosh, I love this Vort. He says, because when you look at a snake, you don't only realize that it's Hashem who's the one who will heal you, you realize that Hashem is the one who bit you. That the snake doesn't bite you if Akash Barba doesn't want it to. Right? What's the reason you got bit? It's because of the sins, it's because of the chait. It's not because of uh, you know some random thing. Oh uh, who where do we get Rafua from? Oh it's Akash Barako, I forgot. What do you miss Rafainu and Shmanesra? No it's because very often we miss the point whenever we get bit quote unquote whenever we have something bad happen to us we forget that a is the one right who set, who arranged that right so we forget that maybe it's become, because of our own shortcomings because because of our own failings or whatever it is some sort of sin some sort of something that happened that's why it happened in the first place right that's uh, you know so look at the snake it's the initial bite is the result of a coachburhu that's what he, obviously a Hu heals us fine but it's the initial bite that uh, that is from a coach as well and because of the sins that that, that we did um, so that was why I told him to make a snake I thought it was very beautiful there's a story I like to tell in my arrogant uh, when I'm feeling arrogant is that uh, I guess we could do it why not we talked about being brazen and, and arrogant so let's give an example um, <laughs> I was once on a trip uh, we won't say what it was but uh, it was a trip when I was a teenager and we had to sleep out we had to sleepover and we slept in a field somewhere. And, uh, you know, uh, sleeping bags, the whole deal. And I remember lying down and seeing ants crawling past us. Like, m- massive amounts of ants. Like, just tremendous amounts of bugs. Now, I hate bugs. But I, where was I supposed to go? I was like a kid on a trip. So, like, I wasn't leaving. So, like, I just kind of, like, snuggled down into the, into the, I guess, the sleeping bag. And just, like, held on for dear life or whatever. In the morning... Let's say there were 40 people on the trip, maybe like 36 of us, myself not included, meaning I was one of the four that were not bit, but basically had their entire faces bit up like they had chickenpox, And it was like me and like three other dudes who were, who were not. And I remember thinking, that can't be random. I don't know. I mean, I, whatever. I not Again, not to be arrogant and not to pat myself on the back. Not that I thought I was psychic when I was 14, but... I remember thinking that can't be random. There's no way they left these random four of us alone and bit up everybody else. Anyway, but that's 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 the idea that we're trying to say that Kosh Baruch Hu is those are everything. That the bites come or the negative things come because of Chayt, because of Kosh Baruch and that's what he wanted to. Uh, that's what he wanted to, to teach us by by building this copper snake. Okay, um, let's move on to this battle of Sichon. Now, this battle of Sichon is also very very interesting. Um, because basically Bnei Yisrael come to Israel, right? and uh, they want to try and pass through some lands Coach Barco doesn't let them go through Moab and Ammon uh, or Edom uh, because they have lineage and they're connected to Bnei in some sort of way they did some sort of chesed for them, whatever so um, uh, because he promised Moab to Moab and he promised, okay, whatever, talk to us again because Lot's kids, right, Avram, etc, etc Edom is, is Esau, fine so they go, they fight Siham uh, and uh, basically they take him out um, and they conquer all of his lands, and it's fascinating. The, the, the P- Pusuk then goes on to this really random, random, almost side note, almost like you're reading a novel, like the narrator starts talking to someone else. It's it's bizarre. Uh, I'm just trying to paraphrase. B'nai Shal took all the cities, and they lived in all of the land of the Emori, of, of Sihon, in Cheshbon. Cheshbon was the, the, uh, the capital, and uh, and the Torah says that he, he because Sikhon had conquered all the lands of Moab, taken all his lands, and then when Bnei Shal conquered the Amori, Bnei Shal also got the lands of Moab. And therefore he says, Therefore, the people who tell stories, the people who tell parables, say, Come to Cheshbon. It gives a whole poetic type of background to the fact that Sichon had conquered Moab and it makes fun of Moab's of Odazara, and that uh, that Sihon, the Amori, conquered them, etc., etc. And then it says B'nai Israel conquered Sichon and settled, the land, settled in the lands of Amori. It's very, very odd. So Rashi explains, based on the G'mon Chulim, that basically uh Sihon weren't allowed, as I mentioned, Ben weren't allowed to conquer Moab. Right? They weren't allowed to, to fight them. They weren't allowed to take their lands. But what were they allowed to do? Once Sichon conquered Moab, then B'nai Israel were allowed to take the lands from Sichon and the Amori. Because B'nai Israel were all allowed to fight the Amori. I'm, I apologize if there are a lot of nations here. I'm trying not to get you lost. Basically, long story short, B'nai Israel were not allowed to fight Moab. The Emori, Sichon, conquered Moab. And then when B'nai Israel defeated Sichon, they got the Amori lands and Moab lands. It says, again, Rav Lech Biederman, this is just one more proof of Rabos Mach that's that's Vatzaz Hashemitakum. That the the thoughts of man are many, but the advice of Hashem is what is going to reign. Because to the casual observer, this looks like a big bully, war machine, conquering, expanding land. Sichon is the big, you know, regional power. He just wants to conquer more land. This is a, you know, Russia-Ukraine situation, right? But in reality, what's going on? Anakosh Baruch is working behind the scenes. Right? Khashbar, who really wanted to give Moab's, Moab's lands to Bnei Israel, but because of so, whatever reason, load, etc., he didn't want Bnei Israel to fight Moab. So what happened? He let the Amori conquer Moab. He put that in Sihon's Zed, And then when Bnei took took the Amori, they got Moab's land. Right? People, Right, very often, we think that we know what's going on in the world. Right? Khashbar was moving chess pieces and we don't even understand what's happening. Right, there's a tells the story of a of a of a Jew in Poland. Again, this is, goes back to what we've been talking about, right? That the Baruch was in charge of everything, and that we have to have emunah b'tachon, that it comes to the But again, a Jew in Poland who wanted to move, the story goes, he wanted to move to America so he could make a parnasa. Uh, and Chaim Brisker said to him, Brisker Rav said to him, he says like, you think it's the location that makes a difference, right? Yes, you're you're not wrong that the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah that Mishanem Ako that sometimes when you change place, you change. Your muzzle, but that's not what the, the guy was saying. I, he wasn't trying to move down, you know, a two days' journey in Poland. He was trying to make a big move to America. He's like, I understand. Either way, mi Either way, if a would changes your then and says, you know what, you've been poor up until now, you should be rich. So what? He can't do that here in Poland, right? And and if it hasn't changed in the I mean, you're still supposed to be poor. So why would you go all the way to America just to be poor? I, what, what, meaning, if everything is from a coach barahu anyway, so what, why are you making yourself Meshuggah? I had a friend who, uh, fascinating story, five years ago, five, six years ago, he moved to, he moved to Beit Shemesh. He was in Teaneck, making a, between, it, the way he tells the story, he tells it straight up, so I don't feel bad saying it again. He was making, him and his wife together were making more than $300,000 a year, and they were breaking even. They were living month to month. And he said, in his words, he's when he made Aliyah, I remember the Chanukas of Ice, he's like, I could live month to month in Israel, or I could live month to month in America, so why would I stay in America? Again, this is not an Aliyah speech, but it, it, he had the proper mindset, meaning that Kodesh Baruch was going to give us X number of Parnassa. Well, what's what's the difference? Meaning, where if you're going to make the same amount here, he did the math. He had a whole calculation. I mean, it wasn't a speech in Shema, in Yerushalayim, even though it was. But he said he's like, I did the calculations. I was 300k here in America, uh, and I was month to month, and I was you know did the math, whatever it was, and I'm you know, making this amount of money in Israel, and it was the same. So why should I stay there? Meaning, if a kosh baruchu makes a Zardin in Shemaim, that's what's going to happen, right, regardless of what we think. So that's that's the most important. Right, to, to realize that Akash Baruch Hu orchestrated, that why does the Torah bring this random poem about Emory We'll have to realize that Akash Baruch orchestrates all these random world happenings just to benefit Bnei Yisrael. Right? And so, uh, and, and just to remind us of that. The second word is what we mentioned on Monday uh, about this Pasuk, um, that, uh, that, the Messias, again, in Mesut Zesharem, he writes, that what are Moslem? Moslem is Lashon Moshel, to conquer. That when we, again, the is Zisharim in the beginning, in the first couple of Prukin talks about taking a Cheshbon on Nefesh, right? Cheshbon, right? I said the the city of Sichon was Cheshbon, calculations. So the, the Messiah Zharan based on the government ambassador says that basically the people who are able to take a Cheshbon on Nefesh, right? People who are able to, to really take stock of their lives, right? Are people who have Moshel, who have conquered the Yitzhahara, right? Only after you take yourself out of, or you start fighting Yitzhahara, can you start taking. Stock of uh, of what you've been doing. Okay, I am going to leave that for for Monday because uh, we're running out of time over here. Um, I do want to mention two more things. Fi- okay, fighter, but uh, Maymariva, what's going on with Moshe hitting the rock? Now, um, just to go backwards a little bit to the middle of the partial Moshe hitting the rock is something that we cannot even fathom. How Kosh Baruch who told Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to the rock, he hit it instead, and therefore he lost his chilek and his astral. We can't even fathom right what that sin means. But check out this amazing. There is an amazing board by the by the Bas Ayin lived in Eretz Yisrael, buried in Tzfat, uh, died in like the 19, 1850s. Um, he says like this, the Ramah writes in Shemar Prakim that Moshe's real sin was not the hitting of the rock. It was, what he said beforehand, was, Shimunah HaMorim, zenu He said, if you look at the Psukim, Moshe says, Hey, B'nai Israel, you rebels. What, do you want me to take water out of this rock? Meaning he was mocking them. He was he was calling them rebels. He was calling them Morim, that they rebelled against Gash Baruch Hu. So, Based on that, right? That's the Ramam says that was the real sin. So, based on that, the Passayin says that Moshe decided he could no longer speak to the rock. Why? Because he had sinned through his speech, and his speech, the whatever tiny, minuscule hate that was, right, was no longer able to carry out what a kodesh baruch wanted. What was the mistake then? Right? The mistake was that Moshe didn't realize that he was able to do tshuva, or he didn't fully internalize and understand that when a person does tshuva. You eliminate any impurities. So when a Baruch Hu said to them afterwards, hakti you should have made me kados, you should have sanctified my name. What it means was you should have believed that you should have internalized in Yisrael that Kosh Baruch accepts tshuva, and immediately after chuva the, the the sin, the pagan, the damage is erased. Right? Even though we can't really truly understand like what we're talking about over here with the sin, what do you see? You see that when a person is down. Right, they still have the ability to overcome and erase any problems. Right? Any tshuva is accepted with Rachmei Vakash Baruch Right? It's such an amazing musr, right? especially in the summer when we're sometimes struggling a little bit, let's say. Right? The trick of the Yitzhar is to get us down and to make us believe there's nothing for us to do and we just might as well just keep up. No, it's not true. It doesn't matter where you are. Right? You're always able uh, to overcome. Melech, Rav points out that there's another similar vote by Rosh Lomel Kluger. Rosh Kluger says that beforehand, right, if you notice in the Torah, Moshe did all the miracles with a staff, right, with the mateh. Right, the mako, splitting of the sea, getting water from the rock in the first place, he hits, hits it with a rock, hits it with the stick. Right? That was all before Matan Torah. After Matan Torah, Moshe says to Kluger, after Matan Torah, Moshe achieved the level, he didn't even need the stick anymore. But when he sinned and said, nah hamorim, he called Bnei Saw a bunch of rebels. So then he thought he'd fallen back to his previous level of pre and, and that, at that level, that dictated that he needed to use the rock. He needed to use the stick. Well, his mistake was that he could do tshuva, right? Similar idea that he, he could do tshuva and get back to that high level. So the lesson is don't stay complacent. Don't be content. Don't be apathetic. You can always grow no matter what, no matter where you are on the ladder, no matter what's going on uh, in your life. Just, I see we have four minutes, just one more thing that ties into this. We just finished Mesecha uh, Suvamos in the Dafiomi. And there is an amazing Gemara, uh, which everybody kind of harps on here. Second to, not the last page, it's not as nice, but second to last page. Basically, the Gemara says that Rabbi Kiva was once lost at sea. He was once lost at sea. And then uh, the, one of the rabbis saw that Rabbi Kiva was lost at sea. Rabbi Gamliel says, you know, I was lost at sea. I saw that uh, Rabbi Kiva was drowning... And I got onto the, the dry river. All of a sudden, I turned around. Rabbi Kiva was learning the base medrash. He said, how in the heck, how did you get out of, I saw you drowning? So Rabbi Kiva said to him, Unbe- unbelievable line. Now, what it literally means, I'll explain literally, then what everybody takes from it. It says, Amarli, daf shelsfina Right? I a daf literally means a plank, but it also could mean a page. Shelsfina of a boat was summoned for me. And in every, and every wave, and every, every kind of wave that came over me, I was able to you know, duck my head underneath it and hang on to this, this board of wood. Now, that, what everybody basically says is that when a person is drowning, what is the thing that saves them? And again, what if you need help to try and do tshuva and pull yourself out of a difficult situation, if a person is drowning, so hang on to the daf hang on to a page, hang on to a text, hang on to some piece of Torah uh, and some sheer, which you guys are doing right now, uh, some sort of, you know, some sort of inkling of Torah, and then every wave that passes over you, anytime you have any, any further trouble, still you'll be able to put your head down and power through it and you'll be fine. So that is just uh, something people I want to mention, really ties in well at the end um but yeah keep your head up keep on plugging keep on growing uh it's great to see everybody and we'll i guess see you on monday have a great great job